Here we go. You are listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, September the 27th, in the year of our Lord 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And on Mondays, we attempt to look at the lesson or lessons for the following Sunday. And that's October the 3rd, 19th Sunday after Pentecost. And lessons are from Genesis chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, and Mark chapter 10. We're going to begin by taking a look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 and following. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. (coughs) Excuse me. All right. Helper fit for him. The King James says, I will make a help meet for him. Now, that word meet really means M-E-E-T, proper for him. Now, a lot of times people give the impression when they read these verses that the woman is just man's helper and therefore the man is superior to the woman. But when we take a look at the word helper that God is using here, we find that it's used in other contexts that does not mean that one is superior and the other is inferior. For example, Joshua is referred to as the helper of Moses. And remember, Joshua took over when Moses died. More importantly, in John 16, verse 13, Jesus makes a promise to the disciples that another helper will be sent to them. And who is that? It's the Holy Spirit. Now, are we going to say that the Holy Spirit is inferior to the Father and the Son? No. There's three persons in the Godhead, and they're all equal when it comes to their attributes. In other words, Jesus is here on earth. He's leaving, but at Pentecost will come the Holy Spirit. Not that Jesus is no longer with us. He's still also with us. But the helper to Jesus is the Holy Spirit. So, the ESV, I think, does a very good translation after it says, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So, it says that out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man, and that's Adam, called 
every living creature that was its name. So the man, this is verse 20 of chapter 2 of Genesis. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found, and again the same language, a helper fit for him. So we're thinking that Joshua was a helper fit for Moses. The Holy Spirit was certainly a equal helper fit for Jesus. But there was no beast or part of creation that was fit for man. So, verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon at the man. And while Adam slept, God took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. So what did God do with the rib? Verse 22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And this is what Adam said. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So what we have here is a woman was created by God as a helper fit for Adam. She was not inferior to him. She was equal to him. And therefore, it was very important what God says next in verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, what does that mean? Well, a man, while he's growing up, is under the authority of his parents. And they tell him what time he has to be home. They tell him when he has to go to bed. Uh, they tell him a lot of things. And as he's growing up in the family, he listens to his father and mother. But when he gets married, he leaves the authority of his father and mother and holds fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, what's very important here is from the beginning, therefore, marriage was always between a male and a female. There is no such thing in God's mind as a marriage between a male and a male or between a male and a female. And a lot of people try and invent marriages. For example, there's a group of Muslims, and not all Muslims agree with this, that practice what they call temporary marriage. 
this is a marriage that is set up between two people by a contract. And the contract indicates how long the marriage will last. It could last a year or two years or a month or a week or even an hour. And therefore, the two people act as though they are married. But they're only married temporarily because when the time is up, the marriage is over. We're, we're finding some Muslims in universities are attempting to follow this because they think it's not against Islamic law and therefore they can do this. Although many other Muslims do agree that what they are doing is wrong. But that's how far people go in trying to disagree with the scripture that talks about marriage is always only between a male and a female. It's kind of like the same with a woman. I met a woman not long ago. I knew her. And she says, Pastor Tom, guess what? I've become a pastor. And she had joined this group that allowed for women pastors. And I said to her, no, you're not a pastor. And she thought I was just kind of kidding, being surprised she was. And she said, no, I really am. I'm a pastor. And I explained to her that, no, God does not permit women to be pastors. And so they may think they're a pastor, but they're really against the word of God. Just as people try and get married apart from a male and a female. So this is from the beginning. And it's repeated by Jesus. I've already said that a lot of times in the three readings, you have an Old Testament reading, you have an epistle, and you have a gospel. The Old Testament and the gospel often have the same kind of theme. And that's true indeed for this 19th Sunday after Pentecost. Genesis 2 talks about what marriage is between a man and a woman. But Mark 10 has Jesus talking about this. And the Pharisees are questioning Jesus and testing him. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answers them, what did Moses command you? They say, and this is Mark 10, verse 4, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Now, they interpreted that for any reason. If the woman was not continuing to look good or she wasn't able to cook properly, that was the grounds 
for a man to divorce her and send her away. And Jesus said to them, you know, it was because of the hardness of your heart that he wrote you this commandment, namely that divorce was permitted. But of course, if you take a look at scripture, interpret scripture, divorce was not permitted as the Pharisees believed it, just for any reason. And a man could write a certificate of divorce. It's clear that a divorce could occur if there was adultery on the part of one of the partners, or they just left the partner. So there are grounds for biblical divorce, but Jesus goes on. From the beginning of creation, and then he quotes Genesis 2, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And then in verse 9, Jesus says, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So this is very important to understand that a marriage is not something that happens by accident, but God joins a man and a woman together in marriage. And remember the promises that they give, that they will love each other until death do us part. And what happens in a unbiblical divorce is perhaps one of them falls in love, they think, with someone else, and so they leave their spouse. Well, the disciples heard what Jesus had to say. And in verse 10 of Mark 10, the disciples asked him all again about the matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? Scripture interprets scripture. And we've already mentioned that those divorces where adultery is committed is when it's an unbiblical divorce. You simply get tired of your spouse and you no longer love her. How many times do we see that in the movie? I don't love you anymore. I love someone else. And they leave the spouse joined with the other person they think they love. And guess what? Adultery occurs. So in an unbiblical divorce, the church goes so far as to excommunicate those who participate in the unbiblical divorce. 
when I was a member of the congregation for 28 years, we excommunicated about six or seven people. And a couple of them were due because they had left their spouse and joined with another. Now, by God's grace, some of them repented and were forgiven. But there was one I remember who just joined another congregation that allowed for that kind of divorce. And when she died, I don't know if she went to heaven or hell, but she was under excommunication. Remember what excommunication is. It's not saying to someone, you can no longer come to church. You can no longer follow Bible classes. No, you're still invited to come to worship services, to attend Bible classes, to meet with a pastor in, in order to lead to repentance. What excommunication does, it means that you no longer can commune, take the Lord's Supper, because part of the necessity in taking the Lord's Supper is proper repentance. In other words, when we have the Lord's Supper, every worship service has a confession of sin where the person confesses they're a poor, miserable sinner deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment, but they ask to be forgiven. When the pastor forgives them in a general worship service, he begins upon this, your confession. And so if they are hiding from the pastor, namely their sins that led to a divorce, they're not hiding them from God. And so the forgiveness of sins is not given to someone who does not have an honest confession. But if you have an honest confession, then upon this your confession, I, by virtue of my office, the pastor, as a called and ordained servant of the word, and by the authority of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I'm not doing the forgiving. Jesus is doing the forgiving. I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But it's very important that that confession is an honest confession about your sin. So when Jesus says that whoever divorces his wife, he's talking about the way the Pharisees practiced it. For any reason whatsoever, that meant that they would commit adultery if they married someone else. And that's similar with the woman. If she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Yeah, this is found in movies a lot of time. And this woman had a wonderful marriage with her husband, who was a policeman. But then she met a lawyer. And the lawyer said, boy, I would like to go out on a date with you. And for some reason, she went out 
and later said to her husband that she no longer loved him, and she left him and went with the lawyer and committed adultery. So marriage is really important in light of the practices that come from Genesis, namely that a man leaves his father, mother, and holds fast to his wife. That's why we have the promises we have. Now, Jesus is providing another example to the disciples in Mark chapter 10 with verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. In other words, children weren't considered that important to be talking to Jesus. And, and therefore, they couldn't understand why these people were bringing children to Jesus. And the disciples were rebuking the parents for doing that. When Jesus saw it, verse 14, he was indignant against the disciples and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took these children up in his arms, blessed them as he laid his hands on them. Now, I did a sermon some time ago about how children are saved apart from baptism. Now, certainly baptism does give a child the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, regardless of the age of the child. But we also know from the Bible that Jesus had taken these children and blessed them, laying his hands on them. There was no baptism here, but they were receiving the kingdom of God like a child. Now, what does that mean? Well, you know if you've had children that they really trust you. If you say to them on Friday, well, tomorrow morning we're going to go to McDonald's for a meal and have some fun, they believe you. And therefore, if on Saturday morning you don't take them to McDonald's without explaining it, this makes them lose their trust in you. So children can believe. They can trust. And in baptism, they're given the faith that the Holy Spirit is within them. We also know that there was a baby before he was born who received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I'm talking there about John the baptizer. Remember, Gabriel tells Mary that she will be with child. She immediately 
leaves to go tell that to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth greets her as the mother of my Lord. So she now is pregnant. And that was just a short time between visiting with Gabriel and visiting with Elizabeth. And remember what the child John the baptizer does? He leaps in the womb for joy, according to Elizabeth. Why? Because he heard the voice of Mary greeting Elizabeth. So don't tell me that infants cannot have faith. And the promise in baptism is I baptize you into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, baptism is the work of that other helper to Jesus, equal to Jesus in all his attributes and providing the gift of salvation and then also, more importantly, the gift of continued salvation as a child grows up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's not at all unusual for a child, as soon as they begin to speak, to be able to thank Jesus at a meal for their food. We taught our children and our grandchildren also do it. Thank you, Jesus, for this food. And this is before they are confirmed. So we have in Genesis 2 and Mark 10, clear teaching from Jesus about what marriage is. And it's a message many in this country need to hear. I'm Tom Baker. On the next Law and Gospel, we'll be doing a hymn with Mark Smith. And the name of the hymn is Our Father by Whose Name. And we'll see the Law and Gospel teaching in that hymn in the same way that we saw it in the readings. Until tomorrow then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.